0: Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome
1: to a Tuesday edition of The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. Hope everyone's had a great day. And of course, you can download the free Sound of Mobile app
2: to any Android or Apple device that you may have. That's right, man. And look, today, got a big show for you. We're going to be talking about Matthew Stafford. He's not connecting with the young guys. The New Orleans Saints, they have a new kicker on the team. Ronald Acuna, did he get attacked? Was it a hug? Was it? Uh, we'll, we'll get into all that in a little bit. Who are the Heisman hopefuls this year? What is the toughest position to play in football? The Chargers wave Max Duggan second in the Heisman from last year and the Cardinals they don't have a quarterback Colt McCoy's gone but is this all by design? We got a big show for you today.
1: Don't forget we'll be talking about Josh Donaldson being cut by the Yankees and how much money he'll be making as well. Neil Farrell Jr. right from Murphy High School. Of course he has a great college career he has a new nfl home and he's only been in the league a couple of years we'll catch up with south alabama's jt crabtree the voice of the south alabama jaguars chris gordy locked on sec will get us ready for all the sec action in week number one and jack carlo of course when you look at the colorado buffaloes deon sanders primetime We'll get into what that game's going to mean against TCU and 5 to 6 o'clock, talking football. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner, right here in the studios with me on at WNSP 105.5.
2: Man, it's going to be a big show, but look, let's go ahead and get into, you know, obviously it's football season. We're talking football, especially today with Scott and Tracy, but that Acuna video clip what was going on there it looked like so basically two fans they run onto the field this was at the rocky stadium and they were able to actually get to acuna they try to give him a hug they try to pull him off of him his friend or partner in crime whoever is holding on to his leg like a little kid who didn't want their daddy to walk out the door security peels him off of him and he ends up falling down cory what What's your reaction to that clip, man? Do Do we have the Atlanta
1: Braves broadcasters? We do. We do. We, we'll We'll set that up first, and I'll I'll let them set the scene for what they were actually able to see from their broadcaster booth up atop.
3: Field where a fan has run on the field and hugged uh, Ronald Acuna. Now Acuna goes down teammates are racing to his aid but I don't know that there's going to be any need for that because security has grabbed that person and pinned him on the ground. It might be more than one. I couldn't tell if they went out there looking to hug Ronald or attack Ronald. Well, they had their arms around him. I know that. One guy's fighting to get away and they they may have to tie him down.
0: Another one down the right field line. Ronald fell to the ground. They picked these guys up. These, goodness, this is a mess. The the one guy,
2: man, he was kicking. He had three people. Guy was gripping him by his thighs. Dude was kicking and waving his hands. What? Look, I've never run onto a field in a game like that. People do it all the time, right? There's always that one guy, the streaker. The, you don't really see him butt naked anymore, but streaker, you know, quote-unquote, as in running onto the field and stopping the game. What is the end goal there? I mean, you run up to give a hug to this guy. They have to pry yourself off of Acuna. You're fighting as they get it. You can't even accept the defeat and walk away. You're fighting to try and get back to giving him a hug. What's the end game here? The end game is this. And, and I normally – I. I
1: I get kind of upset, not upset. It just makes no sense because, again, coming off of four high school delays with with foolishness, bottom line is if you come onto a playing court, playing surface, uh, a baseball diamond, you should get your ass kicked, period, at the end of the day because you bought a ticket to sit in the stands. You didn't buy a ticket. This isn't an autograph session. This isn't a meet and greet while these professional athletes are on their job, and you don't know whether someone's coming up with a gun or a knife. You just don't know what the situation is. And I think that, okay, yeah, you you get taken away in handcuffs and you're kicking and screaming, and this is a grown person not doing this. This isn't a child. But, again, go ahead and stomp a mud hole in them. If you want to buy a ticket to a professional event, Go ahead and sit your tail in the stands and enjoy it with everybody else. But when Acuna, when he goes down, I've seen – you've seen athletes be injured getting out of the bathroom, slip and fall. You say, well, why didn't you participate or why didn't you play because I got hurt because I fell down the stairs. What happens if if this – professional athlete who's a franchise player falls and twists his ankle or, right. or tears his ACL as you're trying to hug and grab his legs. And I know we have a caller on, on the air. Caller, go right ahead. You're on the final drive with Corey and Nick.
4: Hey, man. I wanted to go. I was watching that game last night, and I agree with you one million percent that they should get their butts whipped. Somebody should have, I mean, really at this point in life now that you you got to know right and wrong, and this this, this was just moronic at its best, and I agree with you 100% that somebody should have laid
1: hands on him. Yeah, I thank you, Carla, for, for calling in. I mean, you come on to my job, and you violate my space, right? Again, it, it, it's uncalled for. When you're at a sporting event, if you're drunk, man, you, you got to have better discretion, right? Mm-hmm. But for, for multiple fans to run up on him and the way that one of the fans was carried away like a, a two-year-old kicking and screaming Literally. like you took away his <laughs> oh pacifier, boy. something was wrong with dude, and he needed to be checked. Whoa. And I, it just makes you wonder. I understand security at some some of these events, if you go to an Oakland Athletics a baseball game you could probably run on the field do cartwheels go ahead and 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 sit down and sing kumbaya I, before
2: security comes and removes you i just don't understand how did the colorado security allow both of those guys to get all the way to the player they never make it that far right they never make normally they're just running a little laps around trying to dodge him and the crowd's cheering the crowd was booing ferociously how do you even get to that point I mean Corey you know you're talking about look this guy needs his ass whipped and I agree let's say hypothetically and no listeners do not try and uh, bring to fruition what I'm about to say let's say you and I are in the middle of a segment Corey someone busts through that front door your biggest fan oh my gosh that's the Corey Labonte I gotta run in and give him a hug and he just busts in that door, you know, headset, mic, going everywhere, he just wants to give you a hug, take a selfie with you. What are you doing in that moment?
1: Man, I'm, ta- I'm doing a rush probes. So I'm throwing my headset at him, <laughs> and yeah. I'm going to smack him with the daggum <laughs> headset or hit him with the microphone. Right. I love wrestling, so I have no problem hitting <laughs> you with right. the props. Hitting with that swanton tongue. Absolutely. No problem there. I, I, I just really think that it's being taken to another level, and you ask, what about the security? Well, again, I mentioned that when you're at an Oakland Athletics game, the stadiums totally empty. You you're not fully staffed with security. But when you do have, you know, these NBA contests where you have the Golden State Warriors or the Los Angeles Lakers or these high-profile organizations, it's not as easy to get on the floor or to gain access to the field or the court or what have you, but I guarantee last night with the attendance at the game, it wasn't where it normally would be for Atlanta Braves home game. And if you try that at any other stadium, like I say, you're going to get a mud hole stomped in you and walk dry for certain. I know we have another caller on there who wants to chime in as
2: well. Go ahead, caller. Hey, guys, St.
4: David here. Corey, you would really throw your headset at me if I came in there and
1: wanted to give you a Barney hug. <laughs> 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 it depends if you knock on the door or you open the door. One of the two. You got got. Let me know you're you're coming in the building. <laughs> I mean, the only
4: person I would really want to ever do any damage to is Roger Goodell. I mean, if he was walking on the other side of the street from me, I would purposely cross the street just to punch him in the gut. That's the only person I want to uh, i want to harm,
1: though. <laughs> I hear you, St. David. Uh, I appreciate you calling in there. Uh, St. David, we appreciate you. And look, while, while
2: all that would be happening, I would just mute Corey's <laughs> microphone. No one that's listening would ever hear anything. It would just be me awkwardly speaking and trying to cut to a commercial. (laughs) And then I'd be in there during the commercial break trying to separate them. It it was just uh,
1: the Atlanta Braves broadcasters. uh, Back in the day, Nick, I don't know if you remember this, and I can't remember her name. Somebody in the app may be able to help us out. But there used to be a lady who used to put on red lipstick. She used to run out on the floor and kiss people with her red lipstick used to kiss coaches and players and she would take the she would take the arrest or the fine or whatever it would do and she would do this at different sporting events across the country and that was before we have had as many tragedies as we've had across the country. But in, in today's day and age, you, you just don't know. You you have to take every precaution to Morgana. Thank you, Morgana. Thank you very much. Someone in the app, that's what I'm talking That's why I love the app, yeah. because it is Morgana. That is her name with the red lipstick. And she used to come out, and, the, you know, that used to be funny, and she used to get a standing ovation. But here it is in 2023. It's a different society right. that we live live in safety is not what it used to be in 1980 or 1990 here in 2023 if someone comes onto the playing field or the playing court that's a huge no-no it's an automatic beat down for you and i, I really i'm surprised that security didn't go ahead and waylay especially after akuna hit the ground but i will say this had that been atlanta brave security i guarantee it would have been a whole different Story
2: for See, those fans, I guarantee. But you it. know what would happen. As much as we all think the guy would deserve it and everything, that security guard would get fired. Sue me. That security guard would get charged with assault. Right. We. That is exactly what the storyline would be. So, as much as we maybe all at home and even in the stands are like, man, can can you just give this guy what he deserves for you know being such an ass? Out here and making you know stopping the game, holding up all this stuff, but you know you know he they probably that's probably what they were wanting to get punched and to get assaulted so they could turn it into a way bigger thing. They're contacting TMZ. I mean, that's the end game of, of, of a lot of these guys' plans. But it's clown like behavior yeah. and and it's unacceptable.
1: I, I think that especially when you see it on TikTok. Prior to you got your homeboy, or your homegirl up there filming it, knowing you're getting ready to do it. It's pre-planned, and, and there's a group of people. But again, it's dangerous for those players. Now, what if what if he would have had something in his pocket, or he would have went ahead? He would have had every right. To have swung on that person, and you know, I know him being a million-dollar player, you don't want to damage your assets, right? right? Which is your hand or your fingers. You you're allowing security to do their job, but it's it's just something that cannot happen in today's society for safety purposes. Again, if you want to meet and greet him, it was a grown man who wouldn't let go of his leg. I mean, yeah, that, I, was just that, was, that was what was crazy and absurd. Yeah. And then you knock the man on his backside as he's sitting there trying to
2: play baseball. Let him do his job. Well, look, uh, St. David, if you're on the way over here, pucker up, put that red lipstick on. I'll put a, a newspaper in the door, prop it open for you, and... Look, I won't let Corey in on it and, you know, just kind of give a little knock or something. I'll let you in it and I'll let you bum rush him and smooch <laughs> him all you want. Corey, w- w- would you be okay with that? No. No. You'd be molly whopping him? <laughs> hey, I, I, I would say, look, Nick, I thought you were my guy. thought you were my boy, man. Oh, I'd say, look, man, I, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Meanwhile, I'm just like, world star, phone camera up. <laughs> 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 yeah,
1: that, that's the setup, Nick. That, that's what the setup would be. You're listening to The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Juan Pierre, former South Alabama Jaguar, former MLB clear, and you're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 Corey Bounty, along with Nick Wiggins joining you this Tuesday afternoon. And of course, the NFL having roster cuts and players making millions and having their dreams busted. But anytime you get a chance to promote local athletes, definitely have to do so. And a player right here from Mobile, Alabama. A.J. Finley, undrafted free agent, of course, from Ole Miss, winds up making the 53-man roster for the Chargers, and that's big time for him and his family. But Nick Wiggins, someone who came to the Reese's Senior Bowl, yeah. who did not make the 53-man roster, pretty big time name.
2: Yeah, so it came out. they The Chargers are waving Max Duggan. We all remember Max Duggan from the TCU-Georgia game. He came down to the Senior Bowl. He was second in Heisman voting. They ended up using a seventh-round draft pick on him. They waived him. They let him go. Now, what does that mean? And, Corey, you and I were talking about this before the show. What does that mean about a Heisman, right? This guy was second place for being the best player in college football. Now here he is, can't even make it through training camp being on a roster. I mean, look, Tim Tebow, he was the Heisman darling. Johnny Manziel, Heisman darling. Those guys also had pretty fizzled out, quickly fizzled out NFL careers. But they still were drafted relatively high, right? First round picks. Duggan, seventh round pick. Clayton Toon. This guy came down to the senior bowl. He was nowhere in the conversation of being a Heisman hopeful. And here he is, potentially going to be the Cardinals week one starter. So, Corey, I ask you, what is the point of the Heisman trophy? And does it mean anything for that next step? Or is it just something you get in college and then you move on? I think it's something that you get in college
1: and you move on. I I don't think that it's going to equate. In a successful or longevity in the National Football League. And Max Dugan, tremendous college quarterback, did what he needed to do to TCU, for TCU. You finished second, second in the Heisman Trophy. And what does that mean? That means you're the nation's most elite college football player. And to be – and that's the most prestigious award to win – in college football, you go and you look at the fact of what Caleb Williams is trying to achieve and obtain. Yeah, he'll be a high draft choice and a high draft pick. But finishing second does not mean that you're going to have that terrific career. And I think it's all about finding that correct system that you want to as well. Because if you come in as an undrafted free agent, sometimes you can pick where you feel you're going to flourish, or what system is best for you. Unfortunately, that's not the case here for Max Duggan. And I I think what's even more impressive is you look at the Cardinals cutting someone like Colt McCoy and keeping a rookie quarterback like Clayton Toon and Joshua Dobbs on that Cardinals roster.
2: I I don't understand that. Look, so the Cardinals, they were on – that in season hard knocks where you kind of follow them throughout the year. Colt McCoy was pretty good. And in some ways, maybe better than Kyler Murray at certain things. I'm not saying Colt McCoy is better than Kyler Murray. I'm not saying that, but he was a very serviceable, serviceable backup in the time that Kyler was hurt. I thought it was pretty much just a foretold conclusion. All right, it's gonna be Colt McCoy until Kyler comes back. He's gonna be our tank commander. But I honestly think Colt McCoy might have been a little too good for what the Cardinals are trying to do. I think the Cardinals are trying to lose some football games. And Colt McCoy, I think he's a little bit better than Dobbs. Obviously more NFL experience than Toon. We all know that. And, you know, the uh, Cardinals head coach, you know, recent defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles, he came out and said that he's not going to announce who the Cardinals starting quarterback is going to be because it gives them a competitive advantage and the other team isn't going to know who to plan for. Now, is this taking a note from Nick Saban potentially? Is that what this all is? Uh, we don't know if we're preparing for Milrow, uh or whoever, I um, but I think it's all just smoke and mirrors and I think that the Cardinals are just trying to be really, really bad because Colt McCoy is not a bad quarterback. Jonathan Gannon comes in as the first-year head coach
1: for the Arizona Cardinals. And while you're mentioning Clayton Toon and Joshua Dobbs, of course, one is a rookie and one has not had a lot of snaps in the NFL in Joshua Dobbs. But as you're waiting for Murray to return, he probably may not return till after week eight or nine. So... As far as the Cardinals are being bad, yeah, they're going to be bad. And there have been Heisman Trophy quarterbacks, as mentioned in, in the app, Jason White went, won a Heisman and not even drafted. You look at Tim Tebow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did win a NFL playoff game. But the sustainability of his NFL career, nowhere near what you would think a Heisman Trophy-winning quarterback would be. So – I know it's hard to make a 53-man roster, but sometimes going in, if you're playing against the Arizona Cardinals and aren't happy to see Josh Dobbs or Clayton Toon start for the Cardinals within that first game that they're playing, I'll I, I tell you what, they're not going to be able to tank, but they're going to be one of the
2: worst football programs in the NFL. That's right, man. And look, Talking about Heisman, so very rarely does a Heisman Trophy winner go back-to-back, but here you have Caleb Williams, the by far favorite to win the Heisman again at about plus 450 odds. Corey, who do you think is second in those Heisman odds? And don't look at the sheet. I see you over there eyeballing. Don't look at the sheet I I wrote down. I would would say Harrison, maybe Harrison
1: Jr. at Ohio State. Um, I would think his odds
2: of winning the Heisman would be greater. Well, he's not even in the top seven. Mm. Number two is actually, and look, maybe they're eating the gumbo too, like me and Caroline Fenton from yesterday. Jaden Daniels, LSU quarterback, he's number two at about plus 1,100 odds. And then it's basically all even odds except for Caleb Williams. You got Sam Hartman, Notre Dame quarterback. He looked pretty good. He's sitting there at plus 1,400. You got Clemson's quarterback, plus 1,400. Uh, Travis out of Florida State, Quinn Ewers Texas. So I think everyone's pretty much just kind of waiting because a lot of these top programs are having these little quarterback battles, right? Milrow, Ohio State. These, it's just these quarterbacks that okay, yeah, we know these guys are going to be the starters, and we know they're at a big program. So really, and look, this wasn't this isn't a gambling segment or anything, but. I say just, you know, whatever quarterback and team you get behind. Because it's all about the team's success, right? I mean, how good of a quarterback was Max Duggan? I don't know. But I do know that TCU went to the college football championship that a lot of people didn't expect at the beginning of the year. And because of that, Max Duggan finished second in the Heisman vote. So it's really all just about that team's success and if your quarterback can put up good numbers throughout that. I think the numbers are definitely going to change.
1: As games in the season progress, you have to give odds on favorite to Caleb Williams for certain. Everybody else, Daniels,
2: I I, I don't know. Williams is definitely the best quarterback, but is he going to win Heisman again? I don't know. But look, you know who should win an award? Our next guest. We're talking South Alabama with the voice of the South Alabama Jaguars, J.T. Crabtree, right after this.
5: This is Joyce Potter, bench coach of the Houston Astros, and you're listening to WNSP.
1: Welcome back to the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with Nick Wiggins, joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. And Tuesday afternoon means you're just one day closer to getting to saturday night to where south alabama will be kicking off against the tulane green wave in new orleans and the radio voice of the south alabama football program jt crabtree joins us this afternoon jt how's everything going my brother
4: What's going on, man? It's it's a good day because it's game week, and we're
1: almost here, man. I can't wait. It is that time of year, and it's the time of year. Not too often, JT, do you get an opportunity to open the college football season against the top 25 football opponents, so South Alabama really has a chance to wake up the nation as to what Jaguar football in 2023 is going to look like.
4: No, no kidding, man. You know, that's a two-lane team that we're going to be playing on Saturday that's really darn good. Last year, 12 wins. Knocked off number eight USC in the Cotton Bowl. And... You know, they did what we're wanting to do. They, last year, were the best group of five team in the country. They planted that flag. They knocked off a highly ranked Power Five and tradition-rich program in USC, and they did it on the big stage. And so that's where we want to be, and what a great opportunity. Week one to come out of the gates and try and defeat the team that did what you want to do and also an opportunity to go back to the city where last year things ended kind of on a sour note in New Orleans. So I think it's a great kind of full circle moment for us to go down there, play a a highly respected opponent, play a top 25 opponent, play on national television, and hopefully open some eyes to the rest of college football that, hey, that 10-win Jag team last year was no joke. We're here to stay.
1: JT, one of the great things that when you're in radio broadcasting that makes your job so much easier is when you have so much returning personnel to where you already know the story of a lot of these starters on both sides of the football. And Kane Womack and this Jaguar program, as you're calling these games this year, there's not a a lot of new players to where you're having to learn the personnel and their backstories as well.
4: No, it's great. I mean, for me, making charts and stuff in the 2D, my job was easy. (laughs) It was great having 18 returning starters, and that's not even including uh, two guys that have started in their careers with Keith Gauman missing last season with a pectoral injury, and then Quentin Wolfond played four games then took the red shirt after getting banged up as well. So really looking in total around 20 starters. Uh, coming back from last year, which is really, really exciting, and so made my job a lot easier. We were actually looking at the the two deep for running backs, and I had to make some more room on my chart and include five guys, because you've got obviously LaDamian Webb and Mobile Native Braylon McReynolds they are going to be the, the main guys, but you're going to see Kentrell Bullock, who's an old Miss transfer. You're going to see him a lot. You're going to see Marco Lee, who we saw last year. He was a transfer from Virginia Tech. He'll be a, a big-body goal line kind of running back, and you'll see some freshmen in there with with P.J. Martin, who was a, a highly recruited running back out of New Orleans. Uh, De La Salle High School was a really, really prolific guy and someone that wasn't even initially on our radar, but he wanted to come be a part of our program, and as highly rated as he was, you don't say no to a kid like that. So it's really exciting how much depth we have almost everywhere, just about every position. There are returners, and then there are some new guys that are very complimentary that are going to make an immediate impact. And so I think without a doubt, this is only four, year 14 of football with the Jags. I think without a doubt, this is the deepest team we've ever had.
2: You have multiple South Alabama players making that Senior Bowl watch list that came out about a week or two ago, the Danian Webb and Carter Bradley being two of them. What do you think that the season and that offense is going to look like this year, like you said, with so much experience being there?
4: I think it's really exciting that, you know, you lose a a big playmaker and another local guy like Jalen Wayne, and you might have more weapons offensively this year than you had last year. You know, with Damien, obviously, he's going to get headlines. Carter Bradley as well. Braylon McReynolds is going to do some really good things this year also in his sophomore season. But Devin Boyson at wide receiver and Colin Lacey, those guys are going to do really, really good things. Jamal Pritchett is a, a walk-on, or previously a walk-on. He was really successful at D2 Tuskegee. He wanted to come play at the Division One level, walked on last year and played a little bit. And he's probably been our most consistent and most improved player in camp this year at the wide receiver position, and so he got awarded a scholarship during camp. You've got those guys, and then you mix in four tight ends that can regularly play with Lincoln Sefci, DJ Thomas Jones, who's a Sarah Land kid that started out at Ole Miss, and now he's playing back home. Uh, Brandon Crum, Jacob Hopper. You've got a lot of different weapons, and this, this offense is multifaceted, too, that We saw a team last year that averaged over 30 points per game. I think we're going to see that again this year. I think this offense is going to be prolific. There are a couple of new guys on the offensive line. You had to move around a little bit, but overall uh, pretty steady up there. I think the fact that you return so many weapons offensively and you return everybody on the offensive coaching staff as well, including Major Applewhite, our offensive coordinator, I really do think that this offense is really, really built to consistently punch people in the mouth every game.
2: You guys are coming off a 10-win season, and yes, it had a heartbreaking end out there in New Orleans. How You guys are starting the season with one of your tougher opponents, right, Tulane. How much does this game mean to set the tone for the rest of the season?
4: I think it's big. You know, an opportunity, like I was talking about, a big-name opponent, the, the same city where the season ended on a bad note last year, I think you've got an opportunity to go out there and say, hey, you know, Tulane did some great things last year, no doubt about it. The preseason recognition is well-deserved. They're offensively built like a juggernaut. But, you know, we're here too, and we're pretty darn good as well. And so I think really week one is going to, like you said, I think it will set the tone. I don't think necessarily if it goes, it doesn't go our way on Saturday, will that derail the entire season. But – I think if you go down to the big easy on Saturday and you're leaving home or leaving and heading home with the W under your belt, I really think that's going to carry you pretty far. You know, you look at obviously the the week three matchup at Oklahoma state where, you know, the Cowboys are looking a little down this year. You don't want to look ahead, but if you come out with a week one victory and you're thinking after that, okay, week three at Stillwater is more doable. Uh, The, Sunbelt Conference opener at James Madison, a team last year that was ranked for a little while, and you know, they really opened some eyes in their first season of FBS football. That's going to be a huge game, too. And so I really do think the way we perform on Saturday, good or bad, is really going to kind of steer the ship in the way the rest of the season's going to go.
1: The strength of the Sun Belt Conference with the expansion of, of the four who came in a year ago. I I think that that also helps when you start looking at the end of the season and the Jaguars possibly competing for a Sun Belt Conference championship and also RPI-wise of the overall strength of the league.
4: No, the the Sun Belt's in a really, really good spot. You look at – take Conference USA, for example, right now, just how they were kind of picked apart and then – teams left them to go the American and then the American Athletic was picked apart as well and it's not nearly as strong as it was and the Sunbelt Conference after last year adding the four teams really, really in a good spot and with all the craziness that's going on around in college athletics with teams jumping ship from historical conferences and joining other leagues on the other side of the country and whatnot I think the Sunbelt Conference among the group of five is positioned without a doubt the best of any of the group of five conferences right now. You've got the regionality with the majority of the league. Just about every program has one if not more sports that they are competitive in. Overall, the league in itself is very competitive with football, basketball, baseball. Softball is really, really strong in the Sunbelt Conference. Track and field. I mean, shoot, we had a national champion individually at South Alabama track and field this past year. So Overall, I think this conference is in a great spot moving forward. In spite of all the craziness that's probably still on the horizon in college athletics, I still think South Alabama and the Sunbelt Conference are in a great place right now.
1: We're speaking to J.T. Crabtree, radio voice of the South Alabama Jaguars. and One of the things that Coach Womack has really, really done a tremendous job of is locally recruiting talent. Right along the Mobile, Baldwin County, Pensacola areas, and when you have people like a Jalen Wayne or Jalen Tolbert uh, be drafted, or when you look in the past, Jeremy Reeves, not too far down the road, you get those type of successful stories in a very, very young program that's a little over a decade old now, that that really helps ramp up the recruiting not only here locally but also nationally.
6: No, without a doubt.
4: And, you know, it is – I keep reminding myself and others that this is only year 14 of football here at South. We have not been playing for a long time. We haven't been playing at the FBS level fully except since 2013 and so still a very young program and our game notes this week actually had a note at the very top said 25 NFL players and it was kind of jarring to me of wow we've already had 25 guys make it into the league I think it's four straight years we've had a player drafted as well and a lot of these local guys are realizing hey you know I can stay home and obviously have the benefits of playing in front of your family and your friends, and representing your city and, and whatnot. But you also have an opportunity in your own backyard to continue playing football beyond college. And I think more guys are starting to realize that. You know, Colin Lacey, Braylon McReynolds, uh, Keith Gallman. Uh, there's so many local guys that are staying local, and guys that have left and are also returning home. You know, DJ Thomas Jones was a tight end and Ole Miss. Now he's back home. He played at Sarah Land High School. He's back home here and playing for his hometown team. You look at a guy like Devon Ivory, who was an everyday starter, wide receiver at Memphis the last couple of years, he's a Grove Hill kid. He wanted to come back home and play in front of his hometown team as well. And so I think it's great that we're having those opportunities where a guy like Keith Gallman, who probably could have gone somewhere else with the transfer portal and NIL. But he wanted to stay home because he knows he's got an opportunity, regardless of where he goes, he can play at the next level, he can accomplish it here too. And thats I think that's a real big stepping stone in this program and the maturing of this program as well is that players don't have to leave home now, don't have to leave Mobile in order to continue playing football at the next level.
1: Well, the only time South Alabama fans will be leaving Mobile will be Saturday to go to New Orleans to start off this college football season, and then they'll be returning home to Hancock-Whitney Stadium on September 9th. And JT, if everyone wants to follow and listen to the voice of the Jags as we prepare for South Alabama to go 1-0 here to begin the 2023 football season, how can people follow you and the Jaguars?
4: One of those Sounds great, doesn't it? I, I can't wait. We'll uh we'll kick off at seven o'clock this weekend. The game's nationally televised on the ESPNU, but you don't want to listen to them. Turn them down. Crank us up on the Jags radio network. We'll have a uh, pregame coverage starting at five. You can go to USAJaguars.com and find our listen links and whatnot there. Um, great network, great partners we've got on the Jags radio network, and yeah, I'm fired up, man. I I can't wait. I've I've been at South since football started. My freshman year was oh9. I've been working in the department since uh, as a student worker in 12 and then on staff since since 2014. Uh, I'm as fired up as ever for Jags football, and
1: I can't wait to kick it off on Saturday. Absolutely. I, I echo those sentiments 1,000%. JT, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Be safe, stay cool, and go Jags. Appreciate it, my man. Go Jags. JT Crabtree joining us this afternoon here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back.
6: My name is Robert Brazil. I'm from the class of 2018 pro football hall of fame. You're listening to WNSP.
2: Welcome back to The Final Drive. Myself, Nick Wiggins, and Corey Labowney. And look, not too long ago, we kind of mixed things around here at WNSP. I'm over here on the afternoons now with my guy. And another show that did a little mixing around is Undisputed with Skip Bayless. Now he's got Richard Sherman, Keyshawn Johnson, and Michael Irvin on there with him. And Lil Wayne cut together a phenomenal new theme song. If you haven't heard it, you gotta go look that up. Look, if if I was in high school, this would be by far my new favorite sports show. I love Michael Irvin, love Richard Sherman, and I really like Skip Bayless. Now, I don't like Skip Bayless, but I like what he brings to a show. And yesterday, on the first show with all these guys together, they got into a little bit of a debate, so we're gonna play that, and then, Corey, we can maybe continue that debate and say... You know what we think on the subject. So here we go.
1: Wait, you, got you know what I'll say something to piss you off
0: right now?
2: What's that? Maybe. What you got?
1: The corner is a harder position. See now I gotta go, Mike. You're I go. gotta get. A, Jesus, I this, gotta this ain't rehearsed. Rehearsed. I I rehearsed.
0: rehearsed. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this with this you. Wait for y'all I
7: swear it's not rehearsed. hold, now hold on. You this, this ain't rehearsed.
0: But I promise you, hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop. Hold on. Stop. Skip.
1: Skip. Let me let me just talk to you real quick. I wanna get you in on this. I can't believe
0: you're trying to get. Hold on, Mike. Mike. Go ahead. Mike. Let y'all talk. You said it's a harder position. Harder position. Harder position.
7: Mm. What did you start off at? Receiver. Okay.
0: Mm.
1: What does that say? Mm. You play receiver, you couldn't play it at the level that got you to where you are.
2: Mm. so You went to corner because mm. oh, it was else? much easier to well, do. You ain't you kick ball the... well, you you I love Michael Irvin hopping up across the table and just walking over there and getting in his face for no reason. But Corey, I will ask you the question, and we'll, we'll even broaden it up a little bigger. So the argument was cornerback is harder to play than wide receiver. Corey, do you think that's true? And what do you think is the toughest position in football?
1: The toughest position in football is offensive line. Mm. That's the toughest position. And you can you can ask, and Willie Anderson, the Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer here on our show last Friday, he spoke of that. Offensive linemen, not only are are they really not looked upon – and and seen in as glamorous, but to me the hardest position is offensive line. You're having a pass block, you're having a run block, you're keeping all of your teammates upright. Now, as far as a harder position, corner or wide receiver. Harder is corner. I agree. Wide receiver, your job is to catch the damn ball. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, and it, of course you have to block too if you want to be that complete and elite player. But when you look at corner having to try and not know where the offensive player is going, you guess wrong, and right. you're, you're you're in trouble. Uh, nope. You're you're going to be looking you're going to be looking up, and and six is going to be on the board.
2: The wide receiver they get the opportunity to create and generate the move, right? They're they're going to either cut left, cut right, you know, hook, whatever. The corner has to read and react everything that the wide receiver is doing in real time and mirror that perfectly, right? Corey, what would be easier, me to run away from you and you try and catch me, or you to be able to pick all your own directions and then me catch you, right?
1: If you can pick your own directions— and you already know where you're going to go. I have to try to assume or guess right. where you're going to go. That's why press corners in the NFL and in collegiate football are so very impressive. I can jam you. I can keep you at the line of scrimmage from being able to do what you want to do, to, to not be able to have a free release. And when you are sitting there trying to guess what kind of route I'm running, that's why you see so many defensive backs on highlight films just getting roasted and toasted by the wide receiver your fundamentals have to be so and i i can give you that alabama tennessee perfect example of when a defensive back isn't in position and how easy a wide receiver can
2: make it look as tennessee did a year ago against alabama if if a wide receiver makes a misstep the ball is probably just going to be an incompletion right we see that all the time where he should have turned here and he didn't and the wide uh, the quarterback tried to lead him and he wasn't there cornerback makes a wrong move like you said earlier that's six points
1: it really is and and, and it's a first down or whatever else you want to call it and that's what makes it tougher but i i, I love the passion of one michael irvin for sure he, he's never at a loss of passion for his position and Richard Sherman sitting there saying hey I'm a defensive back Keyshawn Johnson he, he's a wide receiver by trade but he knows what the, real, what the real story is as well but offensive line the toughest position to me in the NFL without question the 4 o'clock hour of the final drive coming here on WNSP 105.5 Chris Gordy locked on SEC joins us in the next hour
0: The Sound of Mobile presents... For the win! The Final Drive. Oh, no, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins. For the win! Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh! Oh! Unbelievable!
1: Welcome to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Tuesday afternoon and you want to make sure you download the free sound of mobile app where you can correspond with us in the app whether it's high school football college football nfl or you just want to go ahead and help us out because i had a little help earlier with trying to figure out what that lady's name was who used to go around and kiss athletes and coaches on the field as far as these fans now taking it to another level trying to get a selfie or knock over professional athletes and i tell you one athlete right now that you definitely won't knock over is our next guest chris gordy host of locked on sec joining us here on the final drive chris how's everything going brother
6: I'm good, man. Were you referencing Morgana? Yes, we were referencing Morgana
1: (laughs) because at the top of the show, we were talking about the stupidity of the fans. When you pay for a ticket to a major league event or a college event, sit your tail in the stands, man. This is not an autograph signing session, and this is not uh, a selfie opportunity to go and put someone, an, an athlete's life in danger and, get beat down by the security. But, yeah, we were talking about those those two dummies who decided to run out on the field and, and wish they would have got the smackdown put on them uh, yesterday. But that's what we were talking about. And Morgana, back in the day, how it was acceptable for her to do so, Chris, and, and get away oh, with yeah.
6: it. Yeah, there, there was a story she ran on the field when uh, Nolan Ryan was pitching and kissed Nolan Ryan and everybody laughed and cheered, and Nolan got down on a knee and faked like he was proposing to her, and apparently Nolan's wife got really mad about that. Uh, This is a story somebody told me recently, but it was like a fun and games and a joke, but that's back in the day when things were harmless. Like, nowadays, you got to worry about weapons and ill intent and stalkers and all kinds of crazy stuff so it's like yeah we just can't have anyone running onto the field of play
1: yeah i I just couldn't remember her name chris i I, and uh, a user in our app tried to help me out and they did help me out and let me know about morgana because i couldn't remember what her name was and I, i tell you i can remember the name of the team that was picked to win the sec west that's the alabama crimson tide and of course the team picked to win the sec east the georgia bulldogs and here it is we're getting ready we've already seen vanderbilt be one and oh and get the sec start sec started off the right way on the right foot but thursday you have florida and utah that are going to get us started can the gators find a way to upset the utes
6: yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting. Um I, I do think Florida has a chance. I, I, I like what they've done in recruiting. I like what uh you know, he did in the offseason hiring Austin Armstrong as their defensive coordinator. We saw in their spring game a few months ago. Much more aggressive defense than we saw in any game last season. So uh I like that. I like the run game. Montrell Johnson, Trevor Atien, you know, one of the best dynamic backfields in all of college football. Uh, Graham Mertz. A lot of people have been crapping on him and saying, "Oh, he's not very good at all this." I just say, can he be a game manager? You know, can he go out there and give me, you know, throw for two forty, two touchdowns, one pick? Like to me, that's that's fine. I'll take that, and I think Florida will take that if he can give them that. He's not going to be the electric, dynamic playmaker that Anthony Richardson was, but I also don't think he'll make the mistakes or the terrible throws that Anthony Richardson made at times last year. So. I think Graham Mertz gives them a chance if the defense is strong and the run game shows up. Uh, keep in mind, one other thing is that they're playing at a higher elevation. You know, how does Florida respond to that? Are they getting winded? Are they, uh, you know, are they able to keep going if Utah's going up tempo? But uh, all eyes are on the Utah quarterback, Cam Rising. There's a lot of questions on whether he's even going to play or not. He had that uh, season-ending injury, you know, towards the back end of last year. So, uh, it's sounding like he's not going to play. I know Utah put out their depth chart a few days ago and listed him as QB1, but I think that's all smoke and mirrors. I think they're doing that for gamesmanship, and I think they're going to end up going with their backup quarterback, and if that happens, I think Austin Armstrong is going to send the house and get aggressive and blitz, and look, if they get burned on the blitz, so be it, but Florida always has a pretty good secondary. Corey Raymond does a great job of coaching those guys up, so – yeah, I, the more and more I saw that line around seven ish, you know, if you could get it, if you could get Florida plus seven and a half, I would jump on that just because I think, you know, I think they have a chance to keep this one close.
2: I think by far the two biggest games in the SEC this week are what you just mentioned Florida and Utah. Can Florida, is Florida legit or are they going to really struggle? I think how close that game is, win or lose, will really determine a lot of that. And then the other game, I think by far is LSU. Florida State, number five versus number eight. Do you think that LSU is going to be able to get their revenge uh, on what Florida State did to them last year?
6: Yeah, it's actually a game I'm going to be at and uh, heading down to Orlando in a couple days once this uh, hurricane passes through. But um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I've been studying it from both angles. I, I can tell you this: these are two, these are both two really good teams. I mean, something's got to give. Like Florida State's loaded, LSU is loaded. And, um, you know, I, I still go back to that game of last year. LSU had a couple of uh, special team snafus, uh, you know, Malik Neighbors, who became one of their best wide receivers as the year went along. He had not one but two fumbles lost in that game. It was just a lot of things that just LSU shot themselves in the foot on that I think they were going to clean up and be much better at executing this time around. Uh, the other thing nobody talked about last year, Florida State played a week zero game against Duquesne. They worked out all the kinks and, and had their dress rehearsal. LSU, that was their first game ever under the Brian Kelly era with a new quarterback, Jay Daniels, new OC and Mike Denbrock. I mean, it was a lot of new, new, new. LSU brings all that back this year, and it's a lot of familiarity. It's a lot of guys who are familiar with each other, offense, bringing back you know, basically their whole starting offensive line. Uh, defense, does have some questions. I am worried about LSU secondary a little bit, and those big receivers that Florida State has. I think they're going to get after it. Uh, one name to keep in mind on, uh, or keep in mind, remember Jaheim Bell, the tight end from South Carolina. He's now tight end number one at Florida State, so keeping on big number six, but I think this one ends up being a little bit of a shootout, a little bit of a back-and-forth affair, and uh, I got LSU winning it by a field goal. Again, I know it's, you know, LSU only favored by two and a half anyway, but I think LSU finds a way to get it done this time around. I know a ton of LSU fans who are making this trip and are going to be out there and and being loud. So uh, we'll see. But, yeah, look, I don't think it ruins the season either way. If Florida State loses a close one, I think they still have everything to play for. And same thing for LSU.
1: Chris Gordy speaking with us, of course, locked on the SEC. And one of the matchups that I'm intrigued in watching is the Dukes-Mayo Classic. North Carolina and South Carolina kicking off on Saturday evening. Two-and-a-half-point favorites are the number 21-ranked Tar Heels. And Coach Beamer has an opportunity immediately with his dynamic playmaker, Coach Rattler, to make some noise and to get off into the right start with one of their big-time robberies.
6: Yeah, one of the off-season moves that that they made, they they got rid of Marcus Satterfield as the OC. They bring in Dole Loggins from Arkansas, and it was a very underwhelming hire. But Shane Beamer went to bat for him. I mean, he got real passionate in the spring when somebody asked him about it. He's like, look, this guy's damn good, all right? And so uh, we heard a couple days ago Spencer Radler raving about Coach Loggins. And so we're going to see what the South Carolina offense is all about. They got weapons, Um, you know, DK Joyner's back. They uh, you know, bring back Juice Wells, obviously, who's their dynamic, big-time playmaker, wide receiver. Uh, there have been reports he's, he's been a little banged up, so hopefully he can go. If he can't, that's going to change the whole dynamic of this one. Uh, and then the big five-star, Nicholas Harbor, top 20 recruit in the country, went to South Carolina. They're going to line him up a little bit at wide receiver or tight end, just try to get the ball in his hands. But he's been banged up. So the hope is to get him out there, just get him the ball in space and let him go. Um, yeah, this is one where I think it's a battle of both quarterbacks, but all the hype around Drake may being a top five, you know, potential top five pick in next year's NFL draft. Uh, somebody I was talking to about the game today said, yeah, you know, Drake may quick name five other North Carolina players. You know, they lost a lot of their star players from last year. They lost Josh Downs to the draft. They lost a lot of guys. So it's going to be incumbent on Drake may to find his playmakers and see what, you know, see what he can do. And. Uh, I'm curious to see how the South Carolina defense responds. I know on the defensive end, it's been a a department they've been lacking. So we're going to find out. But, yeah, it's funny. Somebody said the headline after this weekend could be all about Drake May and being that top five draft pick. But what if Spencer Rattler steals some of his shine? And he plays really well and wins this game head-to-head. I think that would be really good for
2: Spencer. Chris, I was mildly impressed by Vanderbilt for about three quarters in that Hawaii game. What was your takeaway from that?
6: Uh, two big concerns with Vandy. That their secondary is not very good. Look, if you're going to give up 350 passing yards to some schlub at Hawaii, what are you going to do when you face Joe Milt or Devin Leary or Carson Beck? I mean, that's what scares me for Vandy's secondary. Also, disappointed in the run game. Vandy couldn't run the ball worth a damn. And, you know, we know how good Ray Davis was there last year. Ray Davis, the running back for Vandy, was top five rushing in the SEC a year ago. He transferred to Kentucky. So it was like, all right, well, where's Vandy going to go? They had no run game at all against Hawaii. So those are my two big concerns about Vandy. I like A.J. Swan. I thought he made some nice plays. He also made some really bad plays as well. I just I was bullish on Vandy. I thought they'd take a step forward. I thought six and six would be in play this year and they could get to a ball game, but after that week zero matchup, I think I'm back down on Vandy. I think this is more of a four win team, and I think Clark Lee has still got to rebuild this thing or still got, you know, a couple of years to before he gets this thing back to where it needs to be.
1: Virginia heading to Tennessee. Tennessee big time favorites, twenty eight point favorites, Joe Milton. The third has an opportunity to continue to showcase what we've all seen in the offseason, which is that tremendous arm of his. The Tennessee Volunteers want to get started off to a a big-time explosive offensive start.
6: Yeah, Virginia stinks. I mean, they are picked to finish dead last in the ACC this year. Um, But that's a lot of points for Tennessee. I mean, 28 points, we don't know what this is going to look like yet. I know everybody just assumes, oh, it's Josh Heupel, it's the system. He loses Hendon Hooker, he loses this guy, that guy, but it'll just be next man up. i got to see it before I buy into it. I I like Joe Milton, uh, and he's got a lot of hype, but, man, i got to see him make the simple throws that that Hendon Hooker was able to make so easily. So we're going to find out real quick. Again, I I don't think Virginia's got a a secondary that's going to test Joe Milton very much, but, you know, Joe Milton, the problem with him is finding the open man. He's got the open man. He just overthrows him. You know, put some touch on those passes. And if he does that and looks the part, I think uh, Tennessee will be off and running. So, yeah, it's a lot of points. I think Tennessee does win big. But covering the 28 might be a little bit difficult. But I'm excited. Let's see. If Joe Milton has a great day, man, he's going to find himself, uh, you know, probably in a Heisman conversation for the first few weeks.
1: Chris Gordy joining us this afternoon here on The Final Drive. Locked on SEC host, part of the Locked On Network. And we we tried to get locked in and locked on on Alabama's depth chart. Nick Saban having none of that on yesterday doesn't want people really to know their business, doesn't want to give anyone an opportunity to me, what I call be that quitter or that first transfer person into the portal, knowing that they're going to be fourth and fifth string. Yeah, but
6: my problem with that argument, that sounds great from Nick Saban, but why didn't you ever do that? Why didn't this ever happen in the last 17 years? Why did, why is everybody else around college football putting out their depth charts, but you're not? I think that screams of, uh, not desperation, but like it, it, there's a little something unsettled there, that they really don't know who the best quarterback is right now, That they really have some question marks with this Alabama team. And I found it so interesting all offseason, the buzz is about Georgia and how great Georgia is, and they're going for the free feed. And yet some, something happened in the last two weeks, When everybody's got to go on record and make their predictions, they start going, well, i got to go with Alabama. Well, it's Nick Saban, Alabama. You don't have to go with Nick Saban, Alabama. It's okay to say, I think they might be down this year. I think they might lose two, three games this year. It's okay to say that. I know history tells us. Nick Saban, typically when he has a down year, he bounces back the next year and plays for a championship or wins a championship. I get it, but sometimes history changes, and sometimes it doesn't happen, and I just keep looking on paper and going, how do you lose Bryce Young and Will Anderson and tell me this team's going to get better, that they're going to win 11 or 12 games this year? I just It's hard for me to buy into. I think they're going to go with Jalen Noro first out of the gate this week. We'll see how he plays. I think Ty Simpson will get some action. I do think Dylan Lonergan, if things go well, we will see some action in the, in the second half, and we'll see how he looks. But I just don't know if this team is ready to face a Texas yet, and that's what Nick Saban's message is sending with not releasing a depth chart. He doesn't know if this team's ready, and uh, we're going to find out. I mean, it's Middle Tennessee, new coordinator, Tommy Reese, Kevin Steele. What do they have? Let's see you go impress the Alabama faithful. And, uh, look, I think they'll win, but I just – I just think they have some big question marks. and I don't know if they can get them answered in one week.
2: Chris, everything you're saying right now is what I've been saying the past two weeks, much to the chagrin of our mobile Alabama Crimson Tide audience. But I'm like you, man. I just don't get it. All these question marks. Then you have all these college game day guys saying, "Ah, but you know what? It's still Alabama. We're favoring Alabama more than any other SEC team. So I'm curious, Chris, what is your prediction for this college football playoff this year?
6: Yeah, I, I, we, we're going to make our picks officially on our lockdown show tomorrow, but I'll give you guys a little sneak peek. Uh, I've got Georgia running the table going undefeated. i got Michigan running through the Big Ten, them getting into the playoff as the two seed. And then here, here's where things get a little funky. i, I got Clemson running through the ACC. I think they get in. I know Florida State is the sexy pick everybody wants to jump on, but I still think it's Clemson and Dabo. And then I've got the Texas Longhorns. I think Sark is going to have a great year at Texas. I think uh, this is the most talent they've they've had in a long time. I've got Sark and the Longhorns running it and uh, getting in as the number four seed in the playoff. And uh, SEC only with one team in the playoff. It's Georgia and uh, Alabama and LSU left on the outside looking in.
1: Absolutely love those predictions, Chris, and we'll see if they hold true for sure as we just are excited that college football is back to where we're able to go ahead and see how our predictions are going to go after the first couple of weeks of college football. Chris, if people want to follow and continue to be locked in on all your great SEC coverage, how can they do so?
6: Yeah, just locked on SEC, wherever you get your podcast, And uh, look, hate us or love us, We're here for you, talking all things SEC football five days a week, so I encourage you to check us out wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC, joining us this Tuesday afternoon. Thank you so much, my friend. This time next week, we'll actually be breaking down even more and all of the SEC teams and how they played in Week 0 and Week 1. Thank you so much. Can't wait. Let's do it, guys the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 will return and we'll continue to talk a little bit about what happened to Ronald Acuna Jr. along with what other steps are being taken by Major League Baseball because the Players Association is taking this very serious there was a shooting inside of a major league baseball stadium that went unnoticed yesterday as well so that adds even more of a scare to what happened to akuna we'll be right back here on the final drive on wnsp 105.5 hey this
4: is jimmy riffle from the gator boys and you're listening to wnsp on 105.5
1: Welcome back to The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty along with Nick Wiggins. And as we began today's show, we were just talking about fans being able to rush the court or rush the field and the repercussions that should happen to those fans when they do do so. And whether it's a prank or for likes on social media, I guarantee when you start seeing the highlights that happened last night for the Atlanta Braves superstar. What you're going to start doing is seeing if you step onto the playing court or the playing field, you're going you're to be seriously hurt. And I, I think that you're going to catch one of those beatdowns that you'll never, ever forget. And it'll beat you first, ask you questions later. That'll teach you this is not worth social media likes this is not worth any type of monetary bet or value that you get by doing something as stupid as that as there was also an incident yesterday in chicago at guaranteed rate field to where two women were shot and a sustained gunshot wound to the leg a 26 year old had a graze to her abdomen so if you're able to get a gun into a major league ballpark. Right. And then you look at fans jumping over the wall onto the field. Who's to say those same fans who were able to get into, even though it was in Chicago, wouldn't do the same thing to another player, especially in 2023. It, it's just something that has to be taken very seriously.
2: That's right. You told me that this lady hid the gun but essentially in her fat role
1: that's right essentially how she got the gun in
2: and it went off and she shot herself with it i mean that's just ridiculous And then you talk about the guys who ran onto the field uh to acuna like they got what they wanted they wanted to be on tv they wanted to be it's the same thing uh with the timberwolves in the playoffs and all those uh activists were gluing their hands to the court right they don't care about getting arrested and making a scene and stopping the game, that's everything that they want to happen. They want it to go viral, and they want all of a sudden whatever organization or even just themselves to become popular. We all think it's stupid, but here we are right now on this show talking about it. So there just has to be a way that you tighten up to where you don't allow those things to happen, and hopefully soon they'll figure something out to where we can prevent that. But on a lighter note, little uh, NFL news, a lot of NFL news going on that we're going to get really in-depth on tomorrow with all these final 53-man rosters. But the New Orleans Saints, they have a new kicker, Uh, Blake Groupie, the rookie. Now, this was the guy, if you guys remember the story, he tried to walk on the field for that first preseason game, and they wouldn't let him through because they thought he was just a fan. This guy's 5'7", right? By far, smallest player uh, on the field. And he is now the Saints kicker moving forward. They traded Will Lutz to Denver to reunite. With Sean Payton and the Will Lutz era is over. Will Lutz missed the most field goals that he'd ever missed in a season last year with eight field goals. But he did hit one over 60 yards. So we know that he's got the leg power. Accuracy wasn't necessarily honed in last year. But now the New Orleans Saints have a new kicker to root for or to maybe cringe every time that toe hits the leather. As Corey Labounty likes to say. Corey, what do you think of that move? It's, it's shocking
1: at this point in time, but it makes Sean Payton happy. And if you're a fantasy guy in the draft, you definitely better go ahead and get Lutz because why a coach trading for a kicker, knowing the value of you see something in them. And I know they had a relationship with one another working together in new Orleans. And that's, what's critical too. So, a lot of transactions going on as we approach the 53-man roster that we'll be discussing tomorrow again. Mobile's own Neil Farrell from Murphy High School and from LSU. He gets traded today to Kansas City, nice. the Chiefs, sitting along there with Kadarius oh, Toney. To yeah. So you have to love the fact that, again, LaMichael Pirine, Taylor Stallworth, kadarius tony all on the kansas city chiefs last year receiving world championship rings once again you'll have neil farrell jr murphy and blunt being represented with one another with the kansas city chiefs
2: that's right man and look coming up next we're gonna talk with jack carlo he covers the colorado buffaloes we talk Dion. we're gonna talk um their matchup with tcu what are the expectations for Colorado this season? A lot of people throwing a lot of money on them, but is that real or is it just the prime effect? We're going to get into it coming up next with Jack.
3: Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5
2: FM. Welcome back to The Final Drive, and with us now is the managing editor at Buffalo's Wire, Jack Carlo. Jack, how you doing, man?
5: Good, good. Uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. Uh, looking forward to, uh, you know, Saturday's season opener, and uh, yeah, it's a really exciting time of year.
2: Now look, it's no secret, right? Coach Prime, it is prime time out there at Colorado now. Y'all win one game last year, Vegas has you... Well, I guess really quadrupling your win total coming at around four. What do you have as the expectations for the Buffaloes this year, adding on, Coach Prime?
5: Yeah, I mean, personally, I'll I'll take the over on that. Um, I think my win total right now, just from everything um, I've written, is probably a five and seven season. Um, You know, I, I think the, you know, whether or not they make a bowl game, I think it'll come down to that season finale at Utah. But, I mean, even if they win five years, at least for me, that's a super successful season. Um, but inside the locker room, you know, Coach Prime's mind, um, you know, they're, they're here to win it all year one. There's no, you know, long-term rebuild um, for this group right now. You know, they're here to win and win now.
1: Have a question for you in regard to Coach Prime's health. I know that his... Feet and his toes haven't been cooperating with mm-hmm. him, and it was known that hey, it may keep him away from the sideline for his opening game of the season. How is Coach Prime's health going into Saturday's game?
5: Yeah, um, actually, well, we just had a press conference with Coach Prime about an hour ago, and he has shed his boot. Um, he had a, he had a few procedures, I think, uh, this summer. He's shed his walking boot. And I think the expectation for him is to jog out in front of the bus for their season opener against TCU. Um, so yeah, I think his health is in a much better place right now. Um, he's still, you know, he's still limping a little bit, but uh, he will be on the sidelines uh, against TCU.
1: Des Moines Kennedy, from right here in Theodore, Alabama, transfers from the University of Alabama to this Buffalo's defense. And let it be known by a lot of Crimson Tide fans that if Des Moines would have been a little bit more patient, he probably would have seen the field this year for this Nick Saban defense. (laughs) But Prime comes in and and grabs him. And what kind of effect would Des Moines Kennedy make on this Colorado defense? And will he crack the starting lineup?
5: Um, that's yet to be seen. I feel practice starting a lineup. I think he's definitely in the mix. Um, I know the buffs aren't, it's a new look linebacker group, uh, this year for the Buffs, And I know Des Moines played a lot of special teams, uh, last year at Alabama, if I'm correct. Um, so I think he might make a bigger impact there again with the Buffs this year, but I mean, his speed is just so impressive and, you know the, the Buffs play quick. I think on both sides of the ball, and I think is you know his profile as a quick guy will play well. And Charles Kelly, another uh, Alabama, Alabama guy, um, you know he likes to play quick too. And I think um, you know the two of them together will uh, you know produce some big things this year.
2: You said that you had Colorado winning about you know around five games. Now this is a completely new look. Colorado roster for the most part who out of all these new transfers do you think that America needs to keep their eye on
5: um well, I mean the easy answer there is Travis hunter um, you know five-star prospect um, number one overall prospect in the class of 2021 um, I don't he definitely wasn't hundred percent health at least to the start of the year last year at Jackson state uh, but you know he's expected to play both both ways this year cornerback. Uh, cornerback and wide receiver um you know i think his goal is to win a heisman this year but to give uh you know a less obvious answer also go alton mccaskill who's a running back transfer from houston um he's also fighting back from an acl injury last year and i think he'll be in the mix to you know get that lead running back spot for the bus this year super quick um so you know looking forward to those two guys
2: So what do you think this offense is going to look like? Like, what style of offense is Coach Prime getting ready to run out there with uh, Colorado?
5: Very, very fast-tempo offense. Um, The offensive coordinator, uh, Sean Lewis, he was the head coach at Kent State last year. Um, Really, the one stat that I always bring up when talking about him is I think Kent State had the quickest time between snaps last year. Are one of the quickest, at least uh, in college football. So this uh, it's going to be fast tempo for sure. Um, and really, they have the weapons, at least in the running back room and wide receivers room, to put up a ton of points. Um, and you know, another thing that Sean Lewis has said, and you've got Wisconsin blood in him. So um, you know, despite so much talent at wide receiver, I think they won't shy away from the run. Um, I see that being, you know, a definite foundation for them. Um, and with Shador Sanders at quarterback, super talented, um, his accuracy has really stood out to me so far. Um, really, the only question with the offense is, uh, you know, with the offensive line, and whether or not they can protect Shador. But you know, they got they got the pieces to put up a lot of points this year.
1: We're speaking with Jack Carlo. Managing editor at Buffalo's Wire. And of course, when you look at covering the Colorado Buffaloes, one of my all time favorite names in high school football here in the state of Alabama, Cavassier Smoke. What a (laughs) great name for a running back. Cavassier Smoke, he transfers (laughs) in from Kentucky. I know he is going on probably close to a six year of eligibility. Will Cavassier yeah. be a factor in the backfield for the Colorado Buffaloes?
5: Um, I mean, right now, if I'd have to give a depth chart at running back, it's probably Alton McCaskill, number one. If he's healthy, he still has a non-contact uh, practice jersey on right now. Um, Dylan Edwards, I think, might fit in as a number two guy. And I'm going to say Cavassier smokes probably third in line at running back right now. Um But I do see it kind of being a three-headed monster there. Also, Anthony Hagerson's another guy in that mix, too. Um, He definitely won't get as many snaps as McCaskill or Dylan Edwards. But, um, you know, I think he'll have at least one big game this year, you know, depending on what happens.
1: You look at the Pac-12 getting ready to dissolve and essentially has dissolved right in front of our eyes coach sanders being a little bit ahead of the curve there i know that it would be a great sendoff and it would really shock a lot of people you mentioned the over under on wins but the pac 12 conference here when you do have the number five teams that are in the top 25 coming out of the pac 12 still a, a tough conference before it does disintegrate
5: yeah Yeah, I mean you got Oregon, USC, Utah, Washington. I mean I think any of those teams could really fight for a college football playoff spot this year. Um, You know, obviously Colorado's you know not quite in that conversation yet, Um, but it's going to be an extremely different, difficult conference. Um, You know, that's you know it worries me a little bit with their schedule. Um, Definitely one of the hardest in the nation. Um, Yeah, it's it's a bummer you know everything that's happened with the Pac-12, but um, you know, at least I think it'll go out the right way with you know a really successful year with uh, you know, the group of teams and the talented quarterback especially.
2: You guys got a big game this week at TCU. Uh, they're actually a three-score favorite against you guys coming off that embarrassing loss against Georgia uh, last year. What do you think that this game means to set the tempo for the rest of Colorado season and how do you think it's going to go?
5: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely huge for the Buffs. Um, I mean, I think inside that locker room, I think no matter what happens, our confidence is going to remain high. Um, You know, obviously a very difficult game to start the season. But, I mean, from the outsider's perspective, I mean, 0-1, yeah, that's going to hurt the Buffs a bit. I think it will definitely slow down, you know, some of the hype there with Coach Prime. Um, but, you know, all that matters is what's going on inside that locker room. And you know, I think no matter what happens, you know, I think it'll be a competitive game. Um, I'll definitely take the under on that, you know, three touchdown line. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be competitive. And so no matter what happens, they're going to remain confident.
1: Jack Carlo, managing editor, Buffalo's Wire, covers the Colorado Buffalo's. And as far as the first home game, nebraska comes to boulder and nebraska being one of those 80s and 90 dynasty teams of tom osborne being led and you look at colorado with their tradition and cordell stewart and the national championships that were won there the ticket sales have been tremendous and i think the fans overflowing and wanting to be a piece of the rebuilding and the rebranding of this Colorado team is evident. And it will be on display, not only on the road in that first game versus TCU, but, of course, the first home game against Nebraska.
5: Yeah, no, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, last time Nebraska was in Boulder was uh, 2019. And, unfortunately, there was a little too much red at Folsom Field that day. So I think the hope for Buck fans is to you know keep the red out, uh, I think Deion Sanders has already eliminated the color red from, you know, CU's uh, athletic buildings. You can't wear red in Boulder right now. Um, so really, that, that rivalry just means so much to this program, and I'm excited for a new chapter to, you know, be written in a couple weeks.
2: So it came out that Amazon Prime is going to be doing a Coach Prime Colorado documentary for you guys this season. You have the clip that goes viral, you know, whether good or bad with Coach Prime getting on to his guys about fighting and having each other's back in any type of situation like that is in a way. Do you think Coach Prime might be taking a little bit of the shine away from the student athletes and Colorado or is this what Colorado signed up for and they just needed this type of publicity from a guy as big time as Deion Sanders?
5: I think definitely uh, you know, when Athletic Director Rick George hired Dion, he, he knew what was what was coming. Um, you know, I think it's uh, the whole media environment here has changed so much um, with the amount of publicity around this team. You know, obviously with Dion Sanders, but I mean, I think it's really good for the student athletes too. Um, you know, they're wearing their social media handles on the back of their jerseys, um, so I think it really does bring the program up, and I think it brings, you know, each player up as well just, you know, for them to get their faces in front of so many more people, you know, compared to last year.
1: The excitement, though, as far as then you look at TCU, Nebraska, and then Colorado State. I I think that when you have that interstate rivalry, of course Alabama-Auburn here is well known. Would you say Colorado State and Colorado have that opportunity to to create some type of historic rivalry moving forward? And with the reclassification or the redoing of the conferences next year, will we even continue to see Colorado State and Colorado?
5: Um, I believe they do have a couple more matchups scheduled in the future. Uh, CU goes to Fort Collins next year. Um, They haven't played each other since 2019, though. And from about, like, 2000 2019 to 2019, that game was played at the Broncos Stadium. Um, but now this year the game is moving back onto campus um, at Folsom Field. So I think that will be really good for the rivalry. Um, you know, there's always been, you know, bad blood between the two schools, um, you know, at least to some extent, on the football field. Um so I think that will be a fun game. CSU is definitely going to be improved this year. I think they were three and nine last year. Um, I think that's going to be a fun game to watch. And in terms of conference realignment, um, you know, CSU is kind of in a weird place right now in the Mountain West. Um, not sure if they've had any conversations with the Pac-12 yet. I'm not sure if that's really a conference you want to join right now. Um, but you know, I think that rivalry. Is great for the state, and I think it will, be, uh, it will continue to stay strong moving forward.
2: Jack, can't thank you enough for the time, man. Uh, how can the rest of our listeners out here, if they want to stay locked in on what the Buffaloes are up to and what Deion Sanders has going on, how can they follow the rest of your Colorado Buffalo coverage?
5: Yeah, you can follow us on Twitter or X, I guess it is now, at the uh, Buffaloes Wire. Um, and we are part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Um, we got Twitter and Facebook. We follow pretty much every angle you can imagine of the bus. And uh, you can follow me as well on Twitter at Jack underscore Carlo, um, C-A-R-L-O-U-G-H. And we're we'll, uh, looking forward to the season and keeping our fans uh, you know, in the loop throughout it.
2: Jack, appreciate the time and good luck against those Horned Frogs awesome thank you guys
0: so much
4: hi my name is Sherman Williams former running back for the University of Alabama and the Dallas Cowboys and I wake up each morning listening to WMSP 105.5 it's
2: official it is the final segment of The Final Drive with myself, Nick Wiggins, and Corey Labounty. We're about to turn it over to Chavis Furniture's talking Football. But man, it has been a great show. We talked about the Saints getting their new kicker, Acuna getting attacked or hugged or whatever that was, the Heisman hopefuls and who we think is going to come out of that. What's the toughest position in football? Is it harder to be a corner or is it harder to be a wide receiver? We both side with Richard Sherman as much as I love Michael Irvin. The Chargers wave Max Duggan. Cardinals, they got no quarterback. They cut Colt McCoy. We talked to JT Crabtree, South Alabama. Got a big game against Tulane. Maybe the biggest game of the year right here in week one. Chris Gordy kept us locked on SEC. We went around the whole conference and about what their week one matchups are. And then we talked a little Colorado, a little Deion Sanders with Jack Carlo. Corey, it's been a good time. Absolutely.
1: And to add on top of that, don't forget, Josh Donaldson right here from Faith Academy, cut by the New York Yankees. 50 mil for his final two years will be owed to him. He's eligible to be picked up by another team. Hopefully he'll be picked up and we'll see him in postseason play. Neil Farrell Jr., Traded to the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think that's a great move for Neil Farrell having an opportunity to to see and and go to one of the, the Raiders hated rivals there with the Chiefs. And you also have the Thompson versus IMG game. Of course, we saw Sarah Land taking on Lipscomb on ESPN. But that Thompson versus IMG game, it's been canceled this week due to travel concerns for IMG and Hurricane Idalia. So not able to see some of that great high school football, but of course, the safety of those that are coming in Florida in contact with that hurricane, we wish them nothing but the best. But that game will not happen this season, will not be rescheduled because of both of those schedules that are too tight to try to do. And also, Sister Jean, yeah, that's Sister Jean, 104 years of age of course Loyola out of Chicago we see her in the NCAA tournament fame here a few years ago when Loyola Chicago makes that terrific final four run she throws the first pitch between the Milwaukee Brewers and the Chicago Cubs today not quite sure if she was clocked throwing the fastball at 104 miles per hour but Sister Jean, 104 years of age.
2: Man, that is... Look, I love Sister Jean. I love those teams. And it's nice to see her still kicking and and throwing some zingers out there. But, Corey, before we wrap up, I got a question for you, man. Go ahead, brother. Do you think that the NFL is scripted? Absolutely no. Well, the NFL released some footage today of the first script read through of the nfl keegan michael key of key and peel fame is the director of this nfl season and he wanted to hear what travis and jason kelsey and their mom had to say on input uh, for this upcoming season okay everybody playoff time what do we got
3: i say we run last year's script back who doesn't love a good sequel right nice
0: but we're just going to tweak the ending a little bit
7: there we go write that down Mm -hmm.
0: What if that Jimmy Garoppolo character fell in love with my character?
7: That's good. Oh, right there.
0: Steamy. Forbidden love. I like it, Mama K.
3: That's a good-looking guy right there, Mom. I see where you're going. Whoa. Me likey.
0: Vegas, baby.
2: <laughs> I'll be down. <laughs> the NFL script. In the, hey, listen. Who doesn't the, love a good sequel? Hey. I, know, I know Kelly Finley, our Chiefs fan, our office Chiefs fan, wouldn't mind it. Mom,
1: anytime mom can get involved uh-huh. in a cool commercial like that with two brothers that are battling one another in the Super Bowl, we, the, the script may actually be running, run back. But I know mom would say, look, both my babies got a Super Bowl ring right. instead of just one and having to choose which one she wants to, to root for. But, no, nah, that, that's always pretty good. And, of course, being hump day tomorrow, looking forward to George Teague joining us once again here on the final drive George Teague 1-3 there for the Crimson Tide and Nick you put him on the spot asked him about his greatest DB's or to rank the 3 DB's Again, with someone with insight like that, we'll be able to talk Cowboys. We'll be able to talk Crimson Tide. We'll be able to talk high school football with George T.
2: We're going to talk with him every single week. Every Wednesday, we're going to talk with this guy. So, man, the final drive, man, it just keeps getting better. What can we say? Up next, Chavis Furniture's Tide and Tiger
1: Report coming up here with Scott Hunter and Tracy I Turner. I think you might
2: be a little, a day or two oh, early.
1: Oh, it's talking
2: football. Talking football yeah. with Scott and Tracy, but that. we'll be definitely mentioning a little bit of Titan Tiger. This is the final
0: Huddle up. It's time for Chavez Furniture's Talking Football. let go. Stay with us as Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner discuss Alabama, Auburn, South Alabama, the SEC, and college football around the country. Brought to you by Bayou Fasteners and Clutch and Powertrain. Call now at 694-1055 or join the discussion on the Sound of Mobile app.
1: Furniture's talking football here on WNSP 105.5, and you can get used to hearing that every single Tuesday here on WNSP. Of course, we welcome your calls 251 694 1055. 251 694 1055. Chavis Furniture's talking football every Tuesday here on WNSP. Scott Hunter good Tracy. afternoon
3: how's it going hey my man, brother we get a discount out at Travis for a- 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 I a- I need you bet you,
1: you you go go talk to Travis for sure and I guarantee you'll come away with some furniture you will not be disappointed All in right. for sure that sounds now, like they, a plan they right have there. been
7: out there for as long as I've I think when I was at Viger, they were out there selling furniture. Chickasaw,
3: so. right? Yeah. There you
7: Chickasaw go. Multiple and,
1: locations. So Chickasaw is definitely the one that we're familiar with here for sure. And i tell you what we're familiar with is the fact that this is the opening week for college football for Alabama and Auburn. We're going to talk about it, and one of the things that – Is the big discussion topic this week coming off of Alabama and Auburn's head coaches press conferences were the fact that depth chart, depth chart and depth chart. Really no surprise coming out of Auburn, Alabama, as, of course, Hugh Freeze announced his depth chart some
3: 10 days ago. I, I guess you can say that. You know, they ask Hugh, and he goes, a depth chart? What's a depth chart? I don't have a depth chart. I don't even know what y'all are talking about. Where'd you get it? <laughs> you know, I don't have a depth chart because I rotate my guys so until it, it doesn't matter who's out
7: there first or second, they're all going to play. And, and the way Nick approaches it is, don't ask me.
1: <laughs> he's just yeah, and you can ask him, but you're not going to get the right. an answer you want because it's just not going to happen. And that's been the topic of discussion.
7: And well, I, I think you know what he's really concerned about is the quarterback situation and all the goings on about the depth chart around the quarterback. We know who the offensive linemen are. We know who the wide receivers are going to be. We know who the defensive linemen. So, most every area is set. We'll go through them today and talk about them. Uh, but, obviously, everybody's mind is on the quarterback depth chart and rotation, how, how and how much will each quarterback play.
1: And, of course, we do already have a phone call here Chavez Furniture's talking football. That's Welcome caller. Game week. It, it, it is game week. Welcome, caller.
4: Hey, uh, for Scott. Who would you pick for Alabama quarterback and why?
7: This is Jerry, I think, right? Is that right, Jerry? The, uh, did you cut the collar off? Yeah, Jerry. Oh, let's leave the callers on there where we can have a follow-up if we can. Is that okay? Yeah, All absolutely. Right. Yeah, uh, if you can get him back. Uh, anyway, uh, I think right now I'm, I'm going along with Nick. Uh, I'm not picking anybody yet um, to be the starter for the season. What I will say is I believe Jalen Milro will start the first game based on prior experience. Uh, and I think he'll rotate. Uh, the three quarterbacks, um, that's the transfer from Notre Dame, Tyler Buckner, and, of course, uh, Ty Simpson, I think they'll, they'll get their playing time also. But I just don't think anything is going to be determined at that spot uh, in this game because the competition is just not there to, uh, to make that kind of decision. But they'll all get time, and we'll see how they play and go from there. And when you look
1: at Auburn, of course, the biggest thing from their depth chart, Peyton Thorne was named the starter, but the or next to Holden Garner and Robbie Ashford, there was a huge or there, not one, two, and three. Anytime you put a or, I think that that gives Coach Hugh Freeze an opportunity to go ahead and open up things for either one of those guys to come in and play immediately, Tracy. And that's what I'm looking forward to seeing is the or part when he named that depth
3: chart. Well, I think he was trying to keep everybody involved. You know, I mean, Holden had two really, really good scrimmages. In fact, some people like, what well, he had the best scrimmage of the quarterbacks first. So, I mean, I think he's trying to keep him involved. Uh, if you run the ball at the quarterback position, you can get people hurt. And, you know, don't you want to keep Holden involved if Robbie or Peyton get hurt? So, it really – it really seems like that's sort of what he's trying to do. And for Auburn from a depth chart standpoint, the
1: wide receiver starters don't matter. Yeah, I think they do. I think anytime you're looking at a wide receiver second team third team you just want to have the type of consistency that you need from those wide receivers because if Auburn's able to establish a running game I think that that's huge as well with them having a lot of success throwing the football we know Hugh Freeze wants to go tempo 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 how successful they will be will be in regards to if they put the ball on the money who's going to catch
3: the football well look let let me uh I've told everybody or mentioned it a couple of times, Corey. If you'll go back and get on the computer and YouTube or look up whatever, find back when he was at Ole Miss, he does an interview. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm trying to remember. I think it's a former Auburn – center that's on SEC Network, you know. That little Cole cubeless. That's the one, but it may not have been. But regardless, he does an interview that talks about the theories and what he's trying to accomplish on offense and what he's trying to do. And what you always see, if you would go back to Ole Miss, let's say uh, A.J. Brown, he would be split to the other side, opposite of either in 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 old language, a slot and flanker, or trips to one side – or you move to trips to one side but you always have an AJ Brown or a Metcalf or do you, do you do you remember the size of these guys I'm Absolutely. describing that Man, are on I, the,
7: the I remember
3: physical they were wide wide tall as trees <laughs> right? well let me let me tell you who are the three uh, wide receivers that Hugh's going to line up over there Shane Hooks 64 Camden Brown, 6'3", Nick Martyr, 6'6". Do we see a pattern here? Old dogs don't develop new tricks and habits. So he's going to have those guys on the backside, people he thinks can win the 50-50 kind of ball more than 50-50% of the time. And then he's going to do, if you just watch that video, what he does. He tries to put a defender, whether it's the safety or the linebacker generally, in what he calls stress or pressure. So they have to make a decision. If the linebacker walks out to cover the trips and you keep a, a, one high, a safety high so you can, in essence, double-team that big wide receiver on the backside, then they're going to try to run the ball up underneath where the linebacker left. If you keep the linebacker inside and you move the safety out of the middle of the field, How do you like that, Scott, when you got a big (laughs) wide receiver, one-on-one with a cornerback with no safety help over the middle?
7: Yeah, then when you got what you call not horizontal openness, but vertical openness, you can actually throw it up there. And throw him open. And he's open up there. That's right. So,
3: anyway, I was just saying if you look at the depth chart, it explains a lot about Hughes' offensive philosophy. And, Tracy, the biggest thing for Auburn –
1: We talked about this on yesterday at the show. When you do look at that depth chart and you see Jarquez Hunter right there as your starting running back.
3: Well, there was some concern about
1: that. To me, I think you continue to list him as one, and it's not really a concern because if you have enough confidence to list him as one— that means you're probably going to start him as one. And that means whatever suspensions or whatever in house has been taken care of, of in course. House. The the public knowledge he's already gone on record at SEC Media Days and after SEC Media Days and before SEC Media Days, he wasn't going to discuss it because it was against the policy of Auburn university to discuss those matters. But apparently if he's listed on the depth chart, when you're listed on the depth chart, it normally means, especially when you have a one next to it, it
3: normally means you're going to go ahead and start the game. That, you know, that's what everybody thinks. And I know from my experience and I'm sure Scott's too, because my coach and, and A lot of my coaches, if I need to go down the list, Neil Calloway, Wayne Hall, you know, I can go. They all learned from one certain head coach that I told you a while ago won 323 games. So uh, you don't discuss that stuff out in public. That's all handled in-house as a group. You know what your punishment was. I know what you're going to do if you ran all the stadiums that, You had to run because of whatever you might have done, skipped class, didn't go to study hall, late for practice, maybe had somebody in the dorm that wasn't supposed to be there after time. Maybe you didn't get to the dorm on time, whatever it is. The public doesn't need back in those days, no. You know, you just got to pedal up and down the stadium and smooth the concrete a little bit we had some it got so good at it they had to run with concrete blocks on their arms
1: <laughs> yeah that, that, that,
3: means,
1: that definitely means that uh trouble
3: is is followed you uh,
1: but we didn't have that. all that
3: doghouse stuff because he dealt with it trust me 5 30 in the morning running upper deck jordan hair is not fun but Coach Dye's philosophy was, I'm not going to punish everybody else by sitting you and you can help us win, I'm going to punish you. You're going to regret your mistake, then, you know, you get out there and can play. That was just his philosophy. Now, there's certain times when you just have to remove them from the team. But, I mean, go back and read some of the stories of him going and getting both from the Bus stop, and I know some of the things we can talk to my good friend up in Andalusia, Tommy Ag, from Maplesville, Alabama, who he talked to about. You know, only thing in Maplesville is a meal. Yeah, saw meal. Yeah. you know, and so uh, public didn't need to know about all those things, and he dealt with them. And now look at where they are—a a, a major <laughs> corporate head. Freak, freak. Yeah, Bo had money to be a corporate head, but he's a business person. Okay. Tommy is the director of Parks and Recreations in Andalusia, Alabama. A beautiful town yeah. here. You
7: coaches, know, for- coaches learn how to handle players, the 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 way that will get the the push the button on the player. I remember Billy Brewer, dog Brewer at Ole Miss, telling me that when he first got there, he had one player on the whole team, Freddie Joe Knight. But that's all he had. Yeah,
3: well, that was a pretty good one. <laughs>
7: yeah, and, and uh, he said the dorm director came to me, but I hadn't been there two weeks. I was living in the dorm, me and Sue, and uh, he comes to me and says, "Freddie Joe came in, had a few pops." And he tore up, you know, he trashed the dorm the other night. So <laughs> I called him in. I said, Freddie Joe, so you're going to have to go run stadium steps at dawn with Coach so and so, the defensive, you know, coach. And he said, Coach, I, I'm not going to run any stadium steps at dawn. I'm not going to do that. And he said, Well, I'm going to tell you what, Freddie Joe, and this is just between you and me. If you don't go out there and run those stadium steps tomorrow morning, You're going back to Nana Mississippi, for the rest of your life.
1: (laughs) That's that's
7: not where he wanted to be. Freddie Joe thought about that. He said, "Coach, I think I'll run those stadiums (laughs) at dawn."
1: Like you said, there's a great way. I
7: I don't know where where Nana Mississippi, is, but man, it wasn't Oxford. The prospect (laughs) of that is not very good. Absolutely. (laughs) But but Dog Brewer found Freddie Joe's button. And he hit it. And And Freddie course went on a great career. I think with the Arizona Cardinals, you know, a big-time draftee and so forth.
1: That's what it takes. (laughs) And also what it takes is sometimes you don't determine your opening opponent. And here for both Alabama and Auburn, of course, for the Crimson Tide, they'll be opening against Middle Tennessee State University. And you look at Auburn opening up against UMass. We'll talk about what it means to open up with an opponent that's not ranked in the top 25 in week number one. As we return after these messages here on the Chavis Furniture's Talking Football, Tuesday, here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, I'm former Major League Baseball player, Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5 love every minute of it.
0: Welcome back to Chavez Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com, and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner.
1: Welcome back to Chavez Furniture's Talking Football here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner here on a great, terrific Tuesday, as that means that Alabama and Auburn both putting toe to leather on Saturday. And Auburn opens up against UMass. And they're favored, of course, over the Minutemen. But Tracy, when you look at when you come in and you play an opponent like a UMass... And your first year, Hugh Freeze, in your debut era. Of course, you're not going to down talk or talk bad about any opponent that you're going to face. But Auburn comes into this game probably as 28-point favorites. What are you looking to see Auburn accomplish against a team like UMass? Because some years you do open up with a big-time kickoff classic game like we do see with Florida State and LSU. You go with that huge non-conference rivalry game. Of course, in week two, Alabama opens with Texas. But here it is, Auburn and UMass.
3: What do you well, got? I think when Auburn scheduled UMass, they didn't know they would have a team that was 1-0 and who went on the road and was seven-point underdogs and won by ten at New Mexico State, which is not a super easy place to try, fly all the way out to and in the altitude and the desert and all that to go play. And so, obviously, UMass is not going to be intimidated by the heat. They've already played in a hot place, you know, now the – humidity probably 15% out there and it'll probably be 102% in Auburn. But, um, the, the, the main thing is I think Auburn wants to try to be, uh, Auburn polished, run their plays, those kind of things, not necessarily whether you can just, uh, use some kind of broke razzle dazzle plays and score a whole lot of points, but, but, uh, get better. And, uh, I was just looking here. I think the most important thing that Hugh has done for Auburn is the right tackle is 66312 senior. The right guard is six five three forty-three senior. The center is six four three oh seven senior. The left guard is six five three thirty-eight junior. And the left tackle is 6'3, 307 4 oh seven four-year junior, but it can go pro. There's a lot of football games that have been played by those five guys. And yeah. it all if, – if Auburn can average 195 or 200 yards a game running the ball so they can take some pressure off of Peyton Thorne and throw it when they want to, not when they have to. Scott talks about, you know, that money down, third and seven, third and eight. That's a hard pill to convert. Third and three, now am I going to run, Hunter? Am I going to throw a little swing pass and get it? Am I going to run at you and make you take a step back and throw a stop, or slant? I, I've got so many things I can run to pick up three as compared to a third and eight when you're going to be pinning your ears back now and try to come get me. So that, I think that is a big thing for Auburn to be successful is the fact they have five experienced starting offensive
7: linemen. And tracy has got a point there when – if you let me choose the area on the whole team that I wanted to be veteran and really good, obviously you can guess this I would have choose. The offensive line. Well, you tell us that story,
3: Scott. I've been here long enough to know now. When you and I were in school, we would pick our A Day team. Oh, yeah. The head coach wouldn't be there, the assistants would coach, and we'd all have fun at Auburn because Larry Blakeney, who went on to Troy and helped establish them, was a more wide open coach than Coach Dye was. (laughs) And so you would pick. You know, the seniors would get together and be split up and then they would pick the teams and, and I'd always
7: pick all the offensive line starters and give the other quarterback Johnny Musso and the wide receivers and he'd be on his he'd be on his tail back there all day. And I'm standing there my uniform didn't even need washed. That's a smart man right there,
1: Scott. I mean you, you gotta have the big uglies up front to boy, to boy. take care of you That's without right. question. And I know that Auburn coming in having forty new faces that weren't even in the spring game and participate in the spring game so that's going to be something that i'm going to definitely keep an eye on the cohesiveness and the cohesion and how long it takes is it the second drive or the third drive or do they go ahead and get it in gear on the first drive and automatically go to zero to a hundred very fast and as far as alabama is concerned all eyes without question are going to be at scott hunter's most anticipated position and and most skilled and most knowledgeable position of anyone that I know. It's Scott Hunter. It's going to be the quarterback position. If I had to guess, I really am going to say it's going to be for sure two series for Jalen Milrow, a third if they're successful out of the first two. And after that, it's going to be, all right, let's see how else the Alabama offense responds. But Middle Tennessee, doesn't want to be taken lightly. And if you're Nick Saban, you need for the offense to go ahead and score more than field goals. You want them to go ahead and put six on the board, give Will Riker an opportunity to score more points. And also, you want to see the execution defensively, get that three and out.
7: Well, as far as offense is concerned, first game like this against an opponent, you really don't have to show them the whole show, if you will, from a game plan standpoint, uh, but you want to try to play perfectly um, against an opponent like this, and not make mistakes, errors, mental, mental mistakes, uh, and so forth. And so, use it sort of like an NFL exhibition game. Use it like that to to smooth out a lot of wrinkles and so forth, and give some people some real experience, which Jalen Mil- Milrow will get, and also. Uh, Ty Buckner will get some. Ty Ty Simpson will get some. So that's the kind of game it's going to be. I think Alabama wins it. You know, going away th- three half, four scores. But that's not as important as going out there and going back to what I just said, trying to play a near perfect game from an execution standpoint. And that's what you want to see out of both of these squads.
1: I think that both coaches, knowing that it's a lesser opponent, you want to minimize if you're Alabama being the third most penalized team in the country a year ago. I think nothing's going to drive Saban any more baddier than if Alabama does not execute from a flag,
7: a penalty standpoint. Well, they've been – They've been talking about that and emphasizing that in practice. Now, of course, you can't get into practice. I saw the scrimmage, of course, which had a full complement of SEC you know, officials there, uh, and, you know, calling penalties like it was game and so forth. But at practice, I'm going to uh, guess, if I had a good guess to make, there's probably two, maybe even three officials there uh, in most areas where they maybe uh, have their individual type or group drills Uh, before they even come together. There's probably two or three officials there watching carefully and calling penalties, and I would suspect if one is called, uh, Coach Saban makes mention of it the way he can make mention of things. we are here, WNSP,
1: Chavez Furniture's talking football, of course, with Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. And on the other side of our break, we'll break down – and not only talk a little bit about Alabama and Auburn's first opponent, but before the season even starts, we'll look at where we expect both of these programs to be when we get ready to end this regular season with the Iron Bowl. Chavez Furnitures talking football here on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back.
5: Hey, this is Amari Cooper. You're listening to
0: Sports Radio WNSP. Welcome back to Chavis Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner.
1: Welcome back to Chavis Furniture's Talking Football. Corey LeBounty joined by two legends. And Alabama and Auburn Lure, of course, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner here every single Tuesday on WNSP 105.5. We welcome your telephone calls, 251-694-1055, 251-694-1055
7: is how you can reach us. Corey, let's recap recap one more time. The uh, rule changed regarding the clock not stopping except for the last two minutes uh, of each half. And let me turn over that. I think – some people made some comments to me this uh, past week watching a game, how, how fast, uh, I think they were watching Notre Dame and Navy, mm-hmm. how fast the game moved uh, by not stopping the clock on first down. So, again, let me find that. Well, anyway, to recap the rule, coming into the season, and I don't know if fans have really gotten into this yet, but uh, the clock will not stop after first downs. Uh, and it'll only stop in the the second or last two minutes of the first half and the last two minutes of the second half. So I'm thinking that they were thinking it took maybe 12 or 15 total plays uh, out of the game. So I'm I'm thinking it – I think we spoke about it when we talked about the rule that uh, it's going to take 10, maybe maybe as much as 15 plays, uh, you know, that could be run in a typical game where – offense maybe run 75 plays it may be down into the you know 60s or so. So watch out for that uh, not just to Alabama and Auburn this week but when you're watching college college football in particular, uh, kind of make yourself a mental note of how many plays uh, you're seeing in the first half and second half versus how many you would have seen uh, in a similar game last season. Scott, I know both. You know, when
1: you look at having an opportunity to to witness and see Alabama's spring game, the the biggest improvements from Alabama, if you're brand new coordinators, that's that's something that I think has to be stressed too. Oh, sure, yeah. for for Alabama, and then of course Auburn with the brand new head football coach. It, uh, the biggest difference that fans probably want to see is what is going to be a Tommy Reeves offense. Of course, we know the blueprint that Nick Saban has put into place, but you mentioned the speed of the game. Uh, three yards in a cloud, it does not necessarily so, but the domination here at the line of scrimmage by this veteran offensive line squad, I think you mentioned third and one a year ago. Alabama not being able to convert fourth and one, struggling to convert. I don't think that that's going to be the story this year with this offensive line. Well,
7: um, Alabama's already already got his offensive passing system set. It's going to be a three three wide, even four wide uh, type setup, and that's not going to change. Now Notre Dame under Tommy didn't. Run that because they didn't have a, as many speedy wide receivers and top-notch wide receivers uh, that Alabama has. I used to joke with my friend Mike McCoy, who was a friend and played at Green Bay with me in Notre Dame. He would fuss about Notre Dame couldn't get speed. And I said, "Sure, you can just move Notre Dame down to Orlando. <laughs> you, you'll find plenty of speed within 500 miles of Orlando." But anyway, uh, I think what Tommy's going to take uh, take advantage of is having um, all those receivers that he hadn't had at Notre Dame, and obviously, if you got them, you got to use them. Because if you're going to recruit receivers uh, like the one out of Saraland, you got to be throwing them the ball. So that's uh, that enters the kind of enters into the uh, thinking also. I'm looking forward to seeing this offensive line for Alabama
1: because when you have three or four running backs and the depth that Nick Saban has created. I I know that this J.C. Latham has really come to SEC Media Days and said his personal goals are to, to win the best offensive lineman in the country and to dominate his opponent and, and to increase his own value and to help his teammates to do that as well Scott and I, I know that it's not been a question mark from an offensive line standpoint but I do know a year ago having the best
7: quarterback in the country in Bryce Young Bryce Young was running around for his life yeah. more than you would have yeah, liked Yeah there was at some points in the season uh, not adequate protection and a lot of that had to do with the uh, defensive schemes that defensive coordinators that had the athletes uh and had a scheme to put the pressure on him and the O line and the backs who have to they have to get in there too to help with pass protection uh, just simply didn't come through but i think eric wolford has come you know this is his third year i think as offensive line coach and i'm told at kentucky after about his third year he really matured a terrific offensive line at kentucky so I'm thinking the same thing is happening at Alabama, and that's what I saw in the scrimmage here two Saturdays ago. The offensive line didn't have any blows, bad, bad protections, uh, running game. You know, they they stuck it up in there. So I think you're going to see a, a much more coordinated and better offensive line. I know you got a freshman out there in Caden Proctor at left tackle, uh, but it just looks like to me across the board. They're going to be a better O-line. Well, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat as far as where I think
1: Alabama can be and where they will be at the end of the season, which is playing for a national
7: championship. Uh-oh. And that's Uh-oh. tough. Uh-oh. That's tough. Uh-oh, got a call. Got. got we got to call a foul on you. <laughs> did, I, did I jinx it, Scott? Co- Coach Dye and Coach Bryant <laughs> will not let their players – Former players talk about anything but the next game. Fair enough. Fair Fair <laughs> enough there. Fair, fair enough there as far, so, as, far as from a, a, so a, a I don't Tennessee want Coach Die yelling at <laughs> Tracy again. I'm sure I don't want Coach Brown yelling at me again. I, I've heard this former Alabama
3: great and Packer and Bill and Falcon legend say that Bebo, that's what Coach Stalin's, you know, was in it, Bebe. You know how he's? Beep. 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 Yeah. Beep Salins. They said, well, this isn't a big mm-hmm. game playing some directional school, you, whatever. And Scott said, Coach Stalin said, 'We'll just lose one of them and see how big it is. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> that's so, that. a
7: fact. <laughs> so you better have so your head. Need to, you need to
3: not worry about middle directional <laughs> Tennessee because you lose it. And, and it'll be just like last year. You lose to Tennessee by – three two yeah and LSU and <laughs> overtime by one or whatever and you're on the outside looking in so and that's not so. where you you want to be
1: because I, I do believe this guys when Alabama and Auburn both are great I think it, it's better for this state absolutely and and, no and what I, well I mean by that Scott we don't have that yeah. pro franchise here yeah we you know it's Alabama and or Auburn for for this entire state now you do have of course other universities you can cheer for but the flagship schools Alabama and Auburn when both of them come into that Iron Bowl with one loss, so you have a chance to to run a yep. perfect season it, it just makes the anticipation so much better now if Auburn can find a way to win eight or nine games Hugh Freeze is gonna be nominated for coach of the year Nick Saban, if he can find a way to uproot Kirby Smart, who are the back-to-back national champions, and take that crown back and say, look, I just let you bar it for a couple of years. It belongs to me. That's when football is better, when Alabama and Auburn bowl. Yeah,
7: I, I, th- I think elite. there's no question about it. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of Alabama fans, ah, Auburn, you know, Auburn, you know, lose every game, and, and now that's not – That's not what makes uh, the state as far as college football and what makes our state great. Um, And I was in New York City yesterday at a a charity golf tournament. A a consultant had us up there and all in business thing. And there were, I bet, four or five people came up to me and started talking about Alabama. And then came up a guy who his son had gone to Auburn and he started talking about Auburn and Alabama and all. So Auburn and Alabama nationwide – have a following in college football circles. So when they come together and they play each other, and it's for a lot of stakes, that's a great thing for our state.
1: And and that's how it should be. And I think that this season, as far as, Scott, when, when Alabama's brand is played, what do you what are you looking forward to the most when we sit here this time next week lord willing to to say Look, I, I, I felt that this is what Alabama was going to be able to accomplish, and this is what they did accomplish. Or this is what I felt Alabama may need to work on just a little bit, and this is what they will be working with. Because not a lot of room for error. Whatever errors are made on Saturday versus Middle Tennessee, you have to clean them up quickly because you have Texas uh, well, you're right about coming that. to town yeah. in T-Town
7: the very next week. You're, you're exactly right about that. It, and that's why, going back to what I said earlier in the in the show, in a game like this, you know you're going to win it. But what you want to do is try to go out there and execute perfectly and play a perfect game. Now, obviously, that's going to be impossible. But that's what you strive for in a game like this where you know you're going to win it. And that sets you up for the game the next week when you go out and you've had a good outing and you've played well you know you can go out against Texas and repeat that if you practice like that and get ready l- mentally like that. What about you, Tracy, as
1: far as the expectations for Auburn? What what you know that you're going to see versus what you probably in your mind w- know that they're probably going to be working on before they go out to the West Coast and play the, the
3: latest game ever in the history of Auburn University? Well, I'm I'm really interested to see Coach Roberts' defense. I'm looking down here at the uh, – you know, Coach Roberts has coached at Baylor. Rand was a defensive coordinator. And I see this transfer running at second-team safety, Griffin Speaks, who transferred from Baylor. And I'm like, hmm. he didn't start at Baylor, but he's second-team. Why is that – because I think they want somebody back there that helps get everybody else lined up to run. Coach Roberts' defense, because his defense is predicated on pressure yeah. and uh, causing the defense, the offense to be uncomfortable and turnovers and uh, lost yardage plays. You know, because it's a whole lot easier to make a first down on second and five than it is second and fifteen. I agree and, with you. you know, because so, now if I'm second and 15, I've crunched the whole playbook down to what you're probably going to run. You know, you're, go, you're, you're much likely to run a draw or screen or something like that and say, hey, can I get half of that back so I might have a chance from third down? Because third and 15 is really a low percentage thing. So I'm really interested to see his defense. And especially UMass has quarterback who uh, transferred from, uh, let's see, Clemson and –
1: been a couple of transfers. Georgia Tech mm-hmm.
3: and he ran for nearly 100 yards of the night with sort of them the big play through for
7: 200 yards uh what, what kind of offense does UMass operate on I,
1: I'm, I haven't seen them I'll be yeah. honest with you I I don't know what they're going to run and how they're
7: going to run at the Auburn Tech Tech ran the kind of the veer option or something of that nature but not the last couple of years since. So uh, that's what I was going to ask. Did this quarterback play in the option, or did he not? No, oh. no in the pro
3: style, he's running okay. out of the shotgun. With right. People in motion, uh, riding the running back in the line for what? What are they? What's the big name they call that? The uh, it's, it's not not I guess uh, zone read mm-hmm. kind of thing where you read the guy and then where you pull it and throw it and more RPO. RPO and a lot of. Their big plays were off of him scrambling, and uh,
7: yeah, no, nobody so. wants to play the traditional triple option like Georgia State was it Georgia State or <laughs> Southern? Yeah, he's, Georgia he's, Southern, he's, Southern he's, he's, and, and Army runs and <laughs> no and, and then go play wh- Cal yeah uh, uh, Nick Alabama couldn't stop him when it was it was it who is came Georgia State or Georgia? Did he say uh, came in the he, bad
1: he, word through a tin horn? You could. You uh, couldn't stop them. Boo Boo through a tin horn. They ran so, through us
7: like Boo Boo in a tin horn. Y- so you don't want to play a team that's running an offense that you're not going to see during the course of the season, especially a team you're giving a million dollars to come and play you. And you know, it goes back to uh, C- Coach Wyatt Bowden White at Tennessee uh, was playing Chattanooga to open up, and Chattanooga had run a, the the. Uh, what do you call the the single wing in Chattanooga switched to the T formation. Well, Coach Wyatt heard about it at Tennessee, and they were playing UCLA the next week and playing Billy Kilmer, and uh, anyway, who ran a single wing. So Coach Wyatt called uh, the old Chattanooga coach. What was this? Tracy, help me out here. The longtime old Chattanooga coach. Oh, I
3: can't remember and, uh, his name. Said, it. He was there because Auburn uh, played Chattanooga
7: yeah, almost every year. Yeah, and he said uh, – Coach, uh, I said, have you moved to the T's? Yeah, Coach, we we got to move to the T's. So look, you know, we're playing Billy Kilmer in UCLA next week, and they run a single wing. He said, why don't you get back in the single wing? <laughs> and he said, Oh, Coach, I've got to run the T's. Said. Uh, Snooky or whatever his name was, Coach. Is, well, I will tell you what, I'll do. I'll bump up your guarantee twenty-five thousand dollars. Coach, "We'll be back in a single, single win this afternoon." <laughs>
3: <laughs> there you have it. Hey, there back you in have that dear time, that was big money for Chattanooga. Oh boy.
1: Travis <laughs> Furnitures talking football. We'll be back to wrap things up. Scott Hunter, Tracy, me, yeah, Scott Hunter to my right, Tracy Turner to my left. Here in WNSP studio, we'll finish up and get you ready for all the exciting college football action that's coming your way this weekend here in the SEC.
6: Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama.
0: Welcome back to Chavis Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner.
1: Welcome back to Talking Football, Chavis Furniture's Talking Football, that is. And of course, game week is upon us. We've gone through spring. We've here through fall practice, and it, it's time now for the rubber to meet the road, so to speak. And Scott, when you look at Alabama playing Middle Tennessee State, the Alabama Crimson Tide. If you had to kind of give a, a a a score to where you think Alabama would be comfortable with at the end of the day, at the when you're not only as a fan, a former
7: player, knowing what kind of final score would you? like to predict well I think Middle Tennessee State uh, is going to come out the winner because uh, they get a check for about a million and a half dollars so they're the ultimate winner but as far as the games score I really don't I, I can't predict it because it's going to be three four touchdowns or so and Nick can turn it on turn it off by you know substituting quarterbacks so don't look at it like, like it's a game like Texas where oh man, ten points you know. Now look at it as okay, who does he put in at quarterback? How much do they play and how well did they do? So this is a game to evaluate, not worry about the final score. Love that. What about you, Tracy Auburn? Do you have a
1: prediction? Of course, the odds makers, I think, are saying 28, but is there a magic number? Of course, that goose egg on the visitor scoreboard is always a great number when you're trying to have that defensive shutout, but what
3: kind of score are you looking for Auburn and UMass? Well, I would like to just say sort of a clean game Mm -hmm. and and not have to depend on, uh, okay, you know, we had a pick six and we had a punt return and... Then we had a block punt and got it at the 10 and scored. And I mean, you can run up and have 40 something points like that, but you really didn't look all that yeah, good that's not running re- your that's offense. That's not
7: repeatable every Saturday. Exactly.
3: You know, so I would like to see them be running the offense. And then you would hope with an offensive line with this much experience, you don't get a lot of silly penalties because you're going to go to Cal. And you go out there and have ninety or hundred yards of penalties you could lose out there, okay, so you need to you know don't get in motion uh don't don't get silly holding penalties or blocks in the back on your swing pass or something like that so having said that i I would hope that auburn uh is is efficient and that then the defense gets some turnover, so you know we gotta we gotta come up with a score here so I'm, I've got a, a 45-17 Alabama over Middle Tennessee, and I got Auburn 38-20, so I do not have the cover, if that's important to anybody. It's not important to me. <laughs>
1: I, I like the fact uh, 17 for Middle Tennessee. I, I, I just don't see them being Alabama. If they give up 17, Nick Saban's going to go nuts and ballistic.
7: Well, and, of course, how you, how you, if you give it up when you're serious, first, second quarter, that's – but. If you give it up with the seconds and thirds in there in the fourth quarter, don't worry. A whole different story. Don't worry.
1: Well, I tell you, we'll be able to break it down to see how close we were. Chavez Furniture's Talking Football coming to you every Tuesday here on WNSP 105.5. Appreciate you. And Good we'll job, talk Corey. To you. Appreciate you, Scott. We'll talk to you again next week.